Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews. Hello there, I'm Aaron Martell. I'm Mike Cordes. I'm Ray Permi. I'm Lou Figaro. And welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where we talk about and review a rock album of our choice. On this episode, we have returning to the podcast someone we haven't had on in quite a while, Mr. James Seamus Dillard. Seamus, welcome back, man. How you been? I'm okay, man. I feel like David. I'm back, man. <laughs> we miss you. You guys can't see me, but I'm doing a super high kick right now. <laughs> nice. Before we get into the episode, it's time to shout out our new patrons. We have one this week joining our $5 Rockstar tier. We have Wayne Kolodny. I hope I pronounced your last name properly. But thank you so much, Wayne. And if you're a listener and would like to help support the podcast, head on over to Patreon or open the Patreon app and join one of our monthly tiers. There are bonus episodes to unlock, and we're slowly growing a cool community there, so your patronage would be greatly appreciated. But to all the listeners out there, you all rock. So on this episode, we're going with Ray's Pick, and we're going to review Van Halen's 2012 album, A Different Kind of Truth. So Seamus, give us your Van Halen history and this album in particular. Well, I, I don't remember. I was thinking about this today. I don't remember if uh, my buddy Eddie brought the album over and we put it on the, uh, you know, the old vinyl, or if we put it on the record player, or if I actually heard this on the radio. But like so many kids, I think my introduction was Eruption. And, you know, here at the local radio station, every time we play that, it goes right into uh, You Really Got Me Now. You know, what, what was that, 79, 80, uh, when, they, when they started playing on, on the radio? And like so many other kids around the world, my jaw dropped. It's like, what the hell is that? And, uh, yeah, so that started it, man. Everybody got a taste of American cheeseburgers and hard rock right there. Hmm. So where do you come in with a different kind of truth? Different kind of truth was one of those things that happened late. You know, I mean, what is it? It's celebrating, what, its 10th anniversary, so... Um, at that point, like so many other people, I think I was done with Van Halen. I, I figured, you know, who's going to be the next singer? What's it going to be like? What's going on? Eddie can be his own worst enemy. And then they said, hey, David Lee Roth is back. And this, they're actually doing a real album. And it's based on some old songs. So, you know, the sign of the times is I probably Googled it and, and listened to it uh, on, on the Internet and thought, well, you know, this would be a good place to start over. Um, unfortunately, it became their last album. But certainly could have been the rebirth of, of true Van Halen. All right. Mike, give us a recap and your history with a different kind of truth. All right. So I came in in 1984 with Jump, and then the first album that I bought proper was 5150. And with different kind of truth, I got it as soon as it came out. I was very excited to hear what it was going to sound like. Prof, how about you? Well, how I got into Van Halen is kind of well-known. We've gone over that a couple times. But with, with Different Kind of Truth, um, I remember reading this passage on the Van Halen news desk. It came across. It said that uh, Van Halen are indeed working towards finishing a record of a long-awaited new studio album with David Lee Roth set for release sometime in the first half of 2011. I was just amped, to say the least, to hear that. I, I couldn't wait to see what they were going to come up with because I was thinking something like Me Wise Magic, that they were going to kind of continue with that strain. 
Eventually, the release date got pushed back to 2012. I learned the track listing. I remember they did the Cafe Wa show. Um, I pre-ordered the deluxe version on Amazon and iTunes. I bought the tattoo single off of iTunes. There was a web page that listed if an album had leaked early, and uh, this one did. And I found it. I downloaded it. I remember I was working at the Dallas Challenger at the time, and I had it on my, my iPod, my iPad, and my iPhone all at the same time. And I kept listening to it every day before I went in on the drive to the site, on every break, and on the drive back and at night, every, every time. So I just kept going over and over on this one. All right. Lou, Van Halen and A Different Kind of Truth. I first heard Van Halen the summer of 79. So that was like the, the year after the one or two are already out. I was at the Woodbridge village apartment complex pool in Avenel, New Jersey. Uh, and a couple of kids I knew were arguing, they were arguing about whose version was better, the kinks or Van Halen for you really got me. And I heard the kinks version. I was, you know, I had heard that just from the radio. Um, but I never heard Van Halen before, but soon after I was a convert by Christmas of that year, I had both Van Halen one and two. Through the years, I could say that I was a big fan and followed them through every album up to a point. I guess around the, the time of Diver Down, I was getting a little sick of them, probably because by that point, they were like mega superstars. And that's all you heard or saw on MTV and rock radio. By 1984, the album, I've, I've fucking had it with them. Um, Jump was just too much for me. I was in cover bands at that time and, and, uh, all the guitars, that's all I wanted to play was Van Halen tunes. And I was really getting sick of it. Um, Eddie Van Halen is like, and Ray's going to shoot me for this, but Eddie Van Halen is ground zero for why grunge happened. I love his innovative early stuff, but by this point he was like a cliche of himself. All the other buzzing guitarists that followed that he inspired kind of just wrecked metal for me. I'm I'm not saying it was Eddie Van Halen himself, who is an absolute guitar god and genius. And I, I do respect everything that he is and has done. But uh, who he inspired really turned me off. It, it just became a sport. Was, you know, when the exercises and, and the and the lead guitar uh, spot overtook the melody of the song and so many of the songs after that, I get exactly what you're saying. Yeah, music's not a sport. You know, and it really right, just right. kind of wrecked everything for, you know, for me by that point. Um, then when they hooked up with Sammy, they went ultra commercial and I just didn't like it. I was a bigger fan of David Lee Roth band and I took sides. I was firmly planted in Camp Roth. The first tour that they did apart, I saw Dave first and then I saw the, you know, that band too, the Eat Him and Smile band. Then Van Halen, and I can say without a doubt that Diamond Dave had the better show. Yep, um, I agree. So after being a bigger fan of Dave, I never really paid attention to anything else that they did, especially after the pussification that this band went through by Top 40 Radio and the Warner Brothers. Why can't this be love and all that other crap that they force-fed us, um, you know, what is that, early 90s? Until this record came out in 2012, I mean, I, I got it. I listened to it once. I kind of held my head in my hands and wondered, why is it you see colors when you press on your eyeballs? <laughs> then I just kind of left it in the folder that I downloaded it to, you know, till the beginning of this week when I needed to listen to it for this review. 
So this is the fifth Van Halen album we've covered on the podcast. And my quick Van Halen story is that I got on board with the band in 1984 with the album 1984. And from there, I just became enamored with the original era of Van Halen. I completely lost my shit over these guys. My next great band, Love After Kiss and before Led Zeppelin. I liked some of the Van Hagar era too, though admittedly nowhere near as much. And the less said about Van Halen 3, the better. Then this band seemed to be in limbo, and they put out a couple of greatest hits packages, one with a couple of new David Lee Roth tracks, and one with a couple of new Sammy Hagar tracks, and they did a disastrous tour with Sammy in 2004, and a successful one with Dave in 2007, but without Michael Anthony. But I remember it was like, what's up with these fucking guys? They're always squabbling. Who's in the band? Who's not in the band? Why can't they get their shit together? Then in late 2011, I heard they were finally going to put out a new album, this one with Dave, but without Michael Anthony, and I kind of felt cautious. It'd been so long since we'd gotten a full album of new music from Van Halen, and I just kind of had my fingers crossed, and then I heard the first single, Tattoo, and I was like, oh man, it's over. It's done. (laughs) They just don't got it anymore. But the loyal fan that I am, I bought the album on CD that first weekend it was out. I took it to my car. And I played it, and that's where I begin on this episode. Now I'll give you some basic facts about this record, and when I'm looking for a different kind of truth about the facts, I turn to Wikipedia. A Different Kind of Truth is the 12th and final studio album by American hard rock band Van Halen, released on February 7, 2012 on Interscope Records. It was produced by Van Halen and John Shanks, and was recorded from November 2010 to August 2011, as well as January 2012 at 5150 and Henson Recording Studios, Hollywood, California. It reached number two on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart and is certified gold in Canada. And here's the band's lineup card. We have David Lee Roth on lead vocals, synthesizer, and acoustic guitar. Eddie Van Halen on guitar and backing vocals. Wolfgang Van Halen on bass and backing vocals, and Alex Van Halen on drums. Additionally, all tracks were written by Eddie Van Halen, David Lee Roth, (coughs) Alex Van Halen, and (coughs) Wolfgang Van Halen. All right, let's get into a track-by-track analysis of this album. We lead off with Tattoo. Tattoo. Seamus, what do you think? It's a good opening track. Like you, I, it it, uh, it didn't grab me the first time I heard it. I probably heard this track on the radio, you know, how the radio will play one song from a band from and then go back to their classic song. But, you know, it's Roth being Roth. There's jazz hands involved. There's a hooky pre-chorus, a hooky chorus. It's the cheeseburger you expect when you order a cheeseburger. <laughs> It's Van Halen done the way Van Halen does it. Now, I'll tell you right away, I don't like this mix. It's too clean. There's not enough brown sound. 
these are old tunes reworked, and to, to my knowledge, they did the, the 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 tracking different on Eddie's guitar. They used uh, two amps, uh, left and right. You don't have that classic brown sound, and for me, it suffers. I liked it, and I would like to have seen these songs because they have the old spirit of Van Halen done the old way. And we kind of set it off air before, but I hear Wolfie all over this. And I don't mean they just decided to plug that bass amp in after 12 albums, but you hear Wolfie all over this project when you go back and you listen to something like Mammoth now. I don't like the heavy flange on the guitar, and I'm not a big fan of the wah-wah. You've got the world's best guitarist, a living legend, and you're hiding his tone under all that wah-wah. Other than that, you know, the song grabs you. It does say we're back. It's, it's Van Halen, you know, and everybody likes the one Elvis Fox. So what are you going to do? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's Dave being the crimson cat grinning from ear to ear. Not quite down in flames, which the song was reworked from, but a solid beginning to a, a pretty solid album, really. Rockin' Mike. So uh, sometimes a song for me takes a slow build. You have to listen to it and let it marinate for a while. And this is one of those for me. When I first heard this song, I did not like this at all. Um, I, I I hated it right out of the gate. But actually now it's really catchy. I found myself this week just kind of singing it in the background. And I like it much more than I did coming into when the when i first bought the album it's catchy as hell i don't understand why it was the first single though it's kind of just built around that harmonized pre-chorus and chorus it has the eddie solo which is so it's awesome there but it's not much on the musical front other than that uh, it does have some great lines in there here's a secret to make you think why is the crazy stuff we never say poetry and ink which i think that's cool and there's a lot of cool phrases like that we were talking about it through the text earlier today that i, I think there's some good lines on here now i have made it known that i am not a david lee roth solo fan i am not i i don't but this is a to me this is a david lee roth solo track that's how I that's how I see it. Um, but as cringy as that sounds for me, it's actually a good song. Uh, and it grew on me. Ray P. This one was a curveball for me. I didn't know why this was the first single, but Van Halen's picked some strange sing singles in the past. So whatever. I hear what, Sha what Seamus is saying about Eddie's tone. I didn't even notice that until he said it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, shit. But uh, what really bothers me about this song is. Dave's vocals are so dry. There's nothing to him. It's a little reverb would have helped without this whole throughout this whole album. He's got some great lyrics, like you said, Mike. Mousewife to Momshell, that one always busts me up. Um, mm -hmm. He strains so much on some of these some of these parts, like the sexy dragon magic and got a Hulu now. That's cringeworthy stuff. When I got this single, I played it for my son. I was all excited because he was a Van Halen fan and. Um, he listened to it with the, with his headphones on and he made this really sour face and he hands it back. He's shaking his head saying no. And he goes, well, Eddie's still got it. And that's pretty much it. Um, I really <laughs> yep. wanted to love this song. It's not garbage. I understand what you mean that it grew on you. There's like certain musical passages like that will stick with you for a while, but I, I never loved this one. Like me wise magic. It ends up being a lower middle of the road song for me. And then Dave plays synth on it. It's the only synth that I found on the album. Lou. Mike, you're right. This sounds more like the DLR band than Van Halen. When, yeah. When, 
Um, it's it's a D, it's got to be a, a DLR band song or something. There's a lot of those on this this record. It's got that DLR swagger, mm-hmm. the Roth swagger. If they didn't, and now this is funny that the two of you, um, Seamus and and Ray, noted that it's a different guitar tone, um, but it's still that crushing, familiar mammoth, you know. It's you. You can tell it's Eddie Van Halen, right? Well, you know when he's in the opening. Mm-hmm. That, it's 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 him, and he's pulling out everything in his bag of tricks as soon as he gets on this record. But this this could have been on any later DLR album. Yeah, uh, lyrics are typical Roth, diarrhea of the mouth. Um, <laughs> that's not necessarily a bad thing, though. It's it's interesting to try to grab a hold of the thought process of that guy. Uh, he's he's equal parts Robin Williams and Jeff Spicoli. It's just that he's got this old man's failing mind and body. Swap meet Sally, tramp stamp cat, mouse wife to mom shell, and the time it took to get that new tattoo, tattoo, tattoo. It sounds like he wanted to end the line with something like where it's at or nothing flat, but he couldn't think <laughs> of anything to come up with. So he came up with the fucking longest run on sentence in rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> the solo is full Eddie Van Halen being Eddie Van Halen. Uh, but what's missing is obvious. And we'll talk about it over and over tonight. Michael Anthony's voice. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in true Roth fashion, he walks the walk. He talks to talk. Roth's got tattoos all over. The same thing when he was skyscraper, all of a sudden he's a fucking mountain climber. He was living in Japan in like 2013, 24, right after this album. And he became like engrossed in the culture. He he, he learned Japanese. He spent almost 300 hours getting tattooed with kabuki masks and shit all over um, traditional Japanese artwork. They cover his chest, his upper arms. And I think he's got an entire back piece too. That's it. Thanks. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So, we get the first Van Halen studio record since 1998. The first with Roth since 1984. And this is the lead-off track and first single. It's a reworked tune from the band's early days, even before the first album, called Down in Flames. I think Seamus referenced that. And the band does this a lot on this album, bringing back and updating older songs. I mean, you can hear the demos and live versions of them on YouTube. They're out there, including Down in Flames. Dave rewrote the lyrics to be literally about tattoos and how they're permanent in Dave's own words. What is it you really want to remember and what is it that you really want to say to folks around you? It's a plodding slow riff and tempo and yes, it's Eddie Van Halen on guitar and Alex Van Halen on drums as well as Roth on synthesizer. But Michael Anthony's high harmonies are a huge omission. We've referenced that already. Wolfgang Van Halen does a fine job on bass, and his harmonies are serviceable, but it doesn't sound like Van Halen of old. Plus, Dave's voice is really showing its age. Of course it does. But unfortunately, it affects his swagger, and there's a lacking element there. When he goes for higher notes, it's pretty rough. Uh, The professor referenced that. It's, oh, cringeworthy. Eddie's solo's not a knockout. It's taken almost note for note from Down in Flames, but at least I'm glad to hear that style, that tone. I was not impressed when I first heard this, and I saw the boring black and white video at the time. I just thought Van Halen's done. But this track did grow on me over time, and now I don't hate it. I can listen to it, 
but it does remain my least favorite track on the album by a wide margin. It's Aaron's Stinky Stinker. Well, we got that out of the way quick. (laughs) This inexplicably was the album's first single that reached number 67 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. The next track is She's the Woman. Rockin' Mike, what do you think? So this is what we wanted in a new Van Halen album. And initially on my first run through, this was my favorite song on the album. Uh, I was a little bit familiar with the original version. I had heard the demo. As Aaron said, it's up on YouTube. I love how Wolfgang and Eddie worked that intro together. Um, and it really does have a great bass line throughout. However, it's not that different from the original um, if you were to listen to that demo, the, the intro is the same. And Michael Anthony was playing along with Eddie at the same time. And that kind of brings back, there's a, there's a, almost a bittersweet feeling there because you're like, he, Michael Anthony could have done it. I've already heard him play that bass line. You didn't need Wolfgang if that's what you wanted to do with the bass. You just had to let Michael Anthony do it and allow him to be heard. Um, the She's the Woman chorus, That again, you want to hear Michael Anthony in that. I do like how you hear Dave struggle vocally. I, I actually It endears me to the record a little bit because they could have cleaned it up and they could have just processed it and pro-tooled it to death. Um, so I give them credit for not doing that. Uh, I I, I, Pardon me. <laughs> yeah, right. They exactly. They could have Aussied it. They they absolutely could have Aussied it. So I I as much as I dog on David Lee Roth, I give them credit for not doing that to his vocals and allowing him to age on record. The the solos kind of meh, but it's really the only knock on the song. Other than that, I love it. Professor, according to Wikipedia, this song was completed in two thousand nine, and it was the first of three songs that got them to record and it was all because of wolf. So I know it would, everybody wants to have Michael Anthony back, but if he was still in the band, I don't think we ever see, would have seen this album. I don't think we would have either. I, I don't yeah. think we've ever, I don't, I don't think we ever would have seen Eddie Van Halen on stage again. Yeah. Um, I agree. Valerie Bertinelli came out and said it. Yeah. She, yeah, she said it when it happened. She said I, how she understood the fans reaction to not having Michael Anthony there, but it never would have happened without wolf. So, like like you said, this is a song from their original Warner Brothers demo, part of which was cannibalized for Fair Warning's Mean Street. Um, starts off with that blaring wah-wah, and I didn't even notice it in Tattoo, but I've noticed it in every song since. This is either somebody bought him a brand new toy and said, here, Eddie, it's a wah-wah, here, go with it. Or he was hiding something. I don't know if he was hiding anything, but I do know he did get better. By the time he played in, what was it, 2015, he was... That Van Halen, that was he was back. Full so when I saw him then, it starts off with that blaring wah wah and that baseline before Alex tumbles in doing his best Keith Moon imitation, hitting everything that's on on the kit. It's got a nice punchy main riff that rolls right along. This song really captures that energy of the early Van Halen. 
it sounds like the band is really enjoying themselves playing this one. I like the vocal. I like the lyrics with the Chevy for my summer home. It's looking like the the city to my other apartment. I miss Michael Anthony, but the backing vocals on this one are they're kind of solid, which is surprising. Once yeah. again, DLR strains with his IQ falling 14 points. I had to actually look that lyric up because I had no idea what he said. And her thunder thong around your neck. That's just classic. Um, the song ain't dirty. It's really just the way we sing it. The the bridge was reworked because the original was used for Mean Street. And I like the rework. It's pretty nice how they did it. The sustain that Eddie pulls off after the solo. Wow. The song packs that familiar punch. This is this is like what, what you said, that this is what we were looking for. So this is like the nostalgia song for me. Mm-hmm. Lou? Yeah, it does. It sounds like the first something Van Halen-y, you know, it does sound very Van Halen-y from the 90s. You know, had they continued, I mean, the 80s, had they continued. Minus all that Ted Templeman reverb. And I think Eddie really just had a thing with that. Recently, I just saw an interview with Wolfgang and Wolfgang was saying that, yeah, every time I pop, uh, somebody would talk about pop with that first album, he would say, he would, he would always say, oh, that reverb, you know, <laughs> it, he always wanted to go back and, and mix the reverb out, but nobody would let him change a classic. Um, the lyrics fit right in back then too. And yeah, it does have all the little Rothisms. I want to be your knight in shining pickup truck. It's a Van Halen tune. Um, it the backups are about as Michael Anthony as we're going to get, you know, if we can keep wishing. Seamus. Well, as everyone said, this one goes back to the Gene Simmons demos. I like the guitar better on this one. Um, it works better instead of the mono guitar with the uh, the left being the reverb. So the two amp setups here is good. Uh, again, I think that the bass is a little loud. I think that they went because, you know, I don't know if it was just they're trying to modernize or what it was, or Eddie's really proud of his son, but they could have turned it down a little bit. And I'll tell you why. If you listen to this album, you're missing one of the key things of a of Van Halen album, and that's Alex's snare drum. It's lost in the mix. Yeah. Alex, Alex is overlooked and lost in the shadow of Eddie, but that guy could play. And you could almost always recognize that snare drum, that snare sound, no matter what the album was, until this album. And it, it, it doesn't have the same snap, and because of the mix, it's just not there as much. I love the intro. It's got a little stank on it. We already referenced the City Toad, uh, My Other Apartment. Classic Roth. This is Roth's monkey hour, as he used to call it. He's still got a glint in his eye, and as you guys said, his swagger may not be the same as it used to be, but let's be honest, 50% Roth is better than 100% of most of current uh, lead singers. <laughs> I mean, he's not quite the Paul Stanley version of Paul Stanley, you know, of today. Um, he's still Roth. I mean, he's not at least faking it. The great lead breakdown, that last half of that lead is probably just about as perfect of a lead guitar as you could get. So... Tattoo is done. I'm like, uh, then, wait a minute, wait a minute. What? What's this? Oh, fuck yes! Bring it, boys. All I'm going to be doing this entire episode is repeating what everybody says. So I hope the listeners will bear with me. 
It's another older track written in 1976 and recorded for the Gene Simmons Finance Demos. Now, I didn't know that when I first heard this. All I heard was a fast, chunky riff and Alex working that hi-hat. Plus some sweet double bass in the solo section, with Eddie's solo being completely reworked, as the prof said, because the original solo was taken and used on Mean Street, and it sounds nice. Dave sings some clever lyrics as only he can write a man. He's a knight in shiny pickup truck looking for a woman to lose her inhibitions, do something she'd regret, and slum it with our boy in a Chevy garage a trois. Yeah, the vocals are lacking. Dave's doing his best, but, you know, he can't be the rock star god he was in 78. And when you listen to the demo, you can hear Michael Anthony's harmonies on the She's the Woman chorus, and you feel a little pang of, oh, I miss him. But that said, this is very well done, and I was happily surprised. Of course, it's not fair warning level, but it's as close to the brown sound as we were ever going to get. I probably would have opened the album with this, actually. This was the second and final Van Halen single that reached number 23 on the U.S. mainstream rock tracks chart. The following track is You and Your Blues. And I tell you what I'm getting rid of next. You and your blues. Yes, I am. Your bad blues Professor, hit us. David Lee Roth is going to be downsizing. He's getting rid of the you and your blues. This is the song I struggled with the most, actually. It starts off with that riff that could have come right off of the Balance album. It reminds me of Don't Tell Me, and that's not a, a good thing. By the title, I wanted some Van Halenized blues, like Take Your Whiskey Home, something along those lines. And what we get isn't really the blues at all. It's got a shimmering churning boiled over new wave vibe going on which i don't really i don't really get but as far as ross vocals on this this is the range he should be singing in at least for the verses when he goes into the chorus he struggles again your your bad boots permanent communication breakdown like watching someone reinvent their 19th nervous breakdown it comes out of left field a little bit for me the backing vocals kind of seem out of place with it and then it smolders again with the woman you suffer from a color. And he's really suffering with, with how he's singing this. But <laughs> I, overall, I like the lyrics and their attitude. And I like the bridge in the solo, uh, the bridge after the solo. I'm done with coexisting and Eddie blazes on that Wawa solo again. And then it, it just kind of ends too soon. I wanted more of the solo. I just didn't really want the backup singing anymore. Um, the song ends in that slow burn fade out. It's kind of anticlimactic. It, it finally bubbles over. Ultimately, it doesn't really go anywhere for me, and it's not a very catchy hook to me. It seems pretty awkward to try and sing along to. So this, this one's not my favorite on the album. Lou. Well, doesn't it start out sounding like a hair metal Van Halen clone band from the late 80s? That chugging fucking autograph. The Van Halen from YouTube. You know, and it sounds like they got a singer who sounds like a grown up Peter Brady singing Time to Change. You suffer! 
No, Dave, it sounds like your vocal cords are the ones that suffered. Cocaine, it's a hell of a drug. <laughs> that wah solo to me sounds more Kirk Hammett than Eddie Van Halen. Seamus. Man, I'm the odd man out. I, I actually didn't mind this song. It had a good opening riff. It, the pop pre-chorus is everything you would expect from Van Hagar, so it, it brought that to the to the you know to the current uh, edition. Everything that we've already said, missing Mike Anthony's high harmony. I get that Woofy is the only reason we have the CD, and it's the devil's bargain that Eddie made to return to the studio. But Jesus, criminy man, I get it. Let him be the producer and bring Michael back. It was the last album. Why isn't he there? Uh, as some of you have already said, you know, Dave takes us on a lyrical tour of uh, a bunch of blues titles and, and song themes, but there's no real blues here. So if anybody's suffering, it's probably us. But then again, I've suffered with worse sounding stuff. Rock and Mike. I think this is going to be the most the professor and I have ever agreed on a song. (laughs) (laughs) To me, it sounds like Dave singing a Sammy song. There's two to three versions of this riff on both for unlawful carnal knowledge and balance. If someone were to ask you about a generic Sammy or a riff, this is it. I mean, it's not anything spectacular. This is a neutered version of the opening human beings drawn out into a full song. That's all it is. Um, and even like human beings, it even has the spoken guide vocal in the verse. So I could do without this one. Fuck all you guys. I like this song. I also like humans beings. So I guess what's that say about me? It's the first of the new tunes written for the album. It starts with a, all right, I will admit a Van Hagar style choppy riff and Dave naming off famous blues bass songs from Hendrix to Zeppelin to Cream to T-Bone Walker, which he brings up to describe a woman whose bummer attitude is bringing him down and he's sick of it. Then the track kind of develops into a mid-tempo rocker and I notice Wolfgang throwing in some little fills on the bass that never overshadow his father's riffs despite the fact that they're really pumped up in the mix. I do dig what he's doing. Unfortunately, though, this tune does place a heavy emphasis on the vocals, and Dave just cannot arise to the occasion. His voice is straining hard on the chorus, like we've been saying, and once again, the lack of Michael Anthony backing harmonies is so noticeable. Fuck, I'm going to be saying this on every track. Wolfgang can sing. I mean, that's evident on his recent solo work, but he's no replacement for Mike. It sounds like a group trying to cover Van Halen vocals. That said, I actually very much like this track. Musically, it kind of hits the spot for me. I particularly like the passage that ends the chorus. And the music itself sounds like Van Halen to me. I don't know. I missed hearing this for so long. I'm on board with it. It ain't Van Halen 3. That's for fucking sure. Amen. The next track is Chinatown. Lou, take us up. Well, this is the first of the bugga 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 Alex Van Halen double bass train rides. Let's give it up and give credit where credit is due, though. And Wolfie 
he ain't no slouch. Mm. Yeah, motherfucker can play. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's better. I mean, he better. Um, he's a Van Halen. He's a fucking Van Halen. He did. If you're going to carry that moniker and be in your dad's band, you better be able to bring it. And he does, but yeah, he's sort of has a Michael Anthony style while blowing the guy away in the same breath. He's a very, very good player. I just (laughs) wish he had a better tone in his voice. Seamus. Starts with some Willie Wacken. Then it goes straight into that Van Halen boogie. It's that fast rhythm, like you just said, with the double bass. Dave's weaving in and out of the riff. It's exactly what you'd expect from Dave. On this one, I actually like the pre-chorus much more than I like the chorus. The best part of this song for me was the lead break section. Um, right after he goes, my town, my town, my town. The song right there where uh, I kind of realized that they have either hit the mute button or they've reined Dave in. Because his ad libs and all those things that you would hear in early Dave are not on this album. At all. The ones you hear are, are pretty much pre-designed. This is like Dave muzzle. <laughs> there was so many times I expected to hear that classic Dave thing, and it just wasn't there. And I will agree, there's a nice lead bass run at the end of the song, and I, I don't mind uh, Wolf as a player. I think he's very accomplished, and I think anybody would agree to that. But I don't like the tone of the bass on here. Not only just the volume, but the tone of it. It's, it's almost angry. Um, I'm just going to, from now on, just say, ma, M-A-H-H. Michael Anthony High Harmony. <laughs> we'll keep a running tally. You can hear exactly in every song where it should be. Yes. 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 Yes, you can. Rock and Mike. So I'm just going to, we're starting it early on this song. I'm just going to repeat everybody was saying. I, I love tapping intro with, with them in, in unison, which is really cool. But as we already said, also, it's all about Alex. Um, the band slows down the verse, but Alex is still going like full hot for teacher mode, um, which, which I, I love. I think it was Seamus. You said it before talk. Who was that said that he's underrated? Like, you know, his sound there, the snap, the snare. I've always been a huge Alex Van Halen fan. You know, you, you say Van Halen, you picture those long, like bottomless, like, uh, like congas on the front, almost or Tom's rather Tom's on the front of the kit. Um, that, and that. 360 degree kit. I love Alex Van Halen. So I love this song. The solo's awesome. He threw in the horse Winnie, which with Eddie, I know it's kind of a trope, but I don't get, that doesn't get old on me at all. You get the bass tapping underneath Seamus. We missed the ma, but Wolfgang definitely has the chops. Uh, but the, that whole part where the band slows down a little bit, but the drums keep going, there's a little bit of an awkwardness to the pre-chorus because the band's tempo kind of changes and Alex is still going. But I still love it. The album for me, the album is definitely trending upward. Rapey. Someone slipped the quintagenarians a couple of pixie sticks and Red Bulls for this one. <laughs> or maybe fat shaped them into downing like a box of Dexatrims and a gallon of coffee each. And then they let them play like hopped up speed freaks until they passed out. Um, man. Because all I kept thinking is these dudes are in their 50s and late 50s when they're doing this. Alex is playing like it's the last song he's ever going to play and he wants to hit every drum twice. He's really going for glory here. The one that gets me on this, and nobody brought this up, the lyrics on this are top-notch. 
too bad no one can decipher them without a lyric sheet because you can't hear it, what he's saying. <laughs> um, I got the headless body and the topless bar, and then that's it. And I got like warring clans and, and lowered cars. But some of the other stuff that he says, like a great night for all concerns, steel fingers play a deadly song, whole lot of Shakespeare going on and on and on. Who else but David Lee Roth would invert a Shakespeare name check in a song about Chinatown? Yeah. <laughs> and then there's that patented Eddie Van Halen melt your face solo. And this is the first one I, I had to hit rewind and listen to it again. His fretboard was smoking after this one. Even with with Roth's dry voice straining, this is a kick-ass Van Halen song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, what you guys said. <laughs> no, you know, it, it, it starts with a nice tandem tapping phrase between Eddie and Wolfie, and then boom, it just takes off furiously with Alex bringing the fast double bass drums and the tempo racing into overdrive. The solo section is cool as shit throwback. Eddie's playing a blazing solo over Wolfie's fleet fingered bass work, no rhythm guitar track, and I dig. Dave mostly stays low enough in his register so that even when he reaches for higher notes, he's able to grab them without sounding like his voice is going to crack. This is where I think his voice should have stayed for most of the album. The lyrics seem straight out of Mean Street, detoured into Chinatown, describing gang warfare and drug-fueled prostitution in the illegal underground. He compares these scenes to Shakespearean tragedy. Like the prof said, when Dave is on, he has a gift for words. He really does. This track cooks, man. I fucking love it. The, the song did not play well live, though. It was, it was a train wreck live every time they played it. So it was Van Halen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, would you, did anybody hear that live album that they put out, the version that, that's on there, the Chinatown? I never did. You, you, no. will, you will turn your nose up in a second. It's like somebody just farted in, a, in an elevator. Everyone I know <laughs> says that album is shit, so I never, I never even listened to it. Yeah, I've never heard it. Time to change. (laughs) (laughs) The following track is Blood and Fire. Seamus, how about this one? I actually like the song. It might be the fa- my favorite song on this album. Uh, it's definitely one of the two or three that I like. It's a world of fools, and that's just what we expected. None of them know it or even suspect it. God must love the lazy, shiftless, and the crazy, putting so many in life. Poetry. <laughs> this song, to me, would have been huge if it would have been back in the 80s. And then you got the, you got the line, right? Say you missed me. Say it like you mean it. Dave, I missed you. <laughs> you are like a spider that's past his prime. You're Muhammad Ali, 10 years too late. You're Rocky Balboa, but not in the nice Rocky Balboa with, with Mr. T, or even the Rocky Balboa that fought the Russians. You're the Rocky Balboa who's overstayed his welcome and needs to sit down and let a younger man do the job. But we still love you, Rocky, and we still love you, Dave. The lead on here sounds like a typical Van Halen standard, but cheese and crackers that guy can play. 
And if you really want to know something, re-listen to this song and just listen to the symbol strengths alone on this, and you will realize how good Alex really is. Mike. <laughs> now for something completely different. Um, <laughs> so uh, I was such an ominous sounding title for such a shitty sounding song. We're going through this trap of a song only to hear Jim Dandy's little brother say, I told you I was coming back. Say you miss me. Say it like you mean it. Go to hell, David Lee Cockrock. I, yeah, <laughs> I, this is, this, this is Mike's unimpressed fluffy fuckery. Shit. <laughs> 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 Professor. Well, I hear the band takes a breather and kind of remembers that the three of them are in their 50s, fellas. Let's slow down before our hearts explode. Um, it's the, hey, we heard you missed us, we're back song. This is kind of what I expected to hear from them, at least one of these. Roth saying he's a lucid vision of the unforgiven, he's your wave toss guy. That's some pretty good stuff. Musically, this is a song Eddie did for that crappy 80s movie that has a cameo of a Rolling Stone in it, and that is the best part of the whole movie. Come back when you're younger, because I can feel the thunder at 1-800-IT'S-TIME. The 1-800 line is going to forever date this song. Eh. But for me, I'm a sucker for the nostalgic uh, Roth stage banner turned into lyrics. Look at, I'll look at all the people here tonight. <laughs> I just love that kind of stuff. I'm going to steal your line, Seamus. God must love the lazy, shipless, and the crazy. He put so many in line. I always switch out that put so many in line for put so many in life. To me, that just sounds better. Um, and I noticed you did the same thing. So <laughs> I like uh, Roth's little treatise on how his life goes. His forgotten empires, lost victories long past. Every time I, I lose again, I thought it was the last, and then something crazy happens, and boom, he's doing the victory dance. I let that and uh, say it like you mean it. Eddie roars in this solo for me. It's like a, the king of the beasts on there. And then, then I just, while I was writing this, I went, wait a minute, I thought they were slowing down. This is the rebirth of, of Mighty Van Halen in a different version. Honestly, that solo had me doing the RCA dog at my speakers. I was completely blown away. I'm not a musician, remember that. Um, <laughs> I started to reassess this album by this one. My meter needle is starting to move from it's okay, good to it's starting to kick a little ass here. Lou, I think it's got a cringy beginning with, and I've heard this all before thing, even if it's who the guys I heard it from in the first place doing it. Uh, it's got an overlapping skyscraper vibe to it, too. It's an, another. DLR band song. Um, it's still nothing I haven't heard from these guys yet, though. I do like the Roth breaking the fourth wall. Told you we'd be back. And that middle eight with Eddie Solo is classic mid-80s Van Halen. Again, um, I haven't been talking about Eddie on this album just because it's kind of a given that every solo is going to be a mind-blowing. It, 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 you can't even, you can't call, I can't call it a mind-blowing solo, but it's it's Eddie and he, you know, it's what he does. It's, it, and he's got this bag of tricks. Um, it would fit right in on diver down. And that's why I think Mike hates it is because <laughs> that's the worst album that a metal head could listen to for Van Halen, just because it's, that's when you saw everything kind of fall apart. It's where they kind of, you know, drank the Kool-Aid and sold their soul to Satan or whatever they had to do to get, you know, to get super, super big. And it really just 
it took the quality out of everything. It took the rawness. It took it. It just their their soul just went away at that point. You think they had one? <laughs> one and two? Hell yeah! Yeah, three <laughs> women and children <laughs> first. Women and children first. Uh, but you know, to me, they've was... always been about excesses. Yeah, but I mean, they're so American. You you know, to be foreigners, it's ridiculous. <laughs> So the music, as has been said, is directly lifted from a piece Eddie wrote for the 1984 wildlife movie soundtrack called Ripley, named for the Ripley guitar he used on the demo of the song. Alex is a standout on this one for me. He mixes syncopated beats with terrific tom fills, and that snare tone is all his and his alone. Eddie begins with a quiet intro passage and takes it to a riff that's less bombastic, but has the little sneaky note additions that make his rhythm playing so outstanding and overlooked. The solo's classic Eddie, mixing melodic phrases with nice tapping that sounds sloppy yet complements the music in the very best way. Lyrically, Dave notes how far he and the band have come. He's glad to be back and he's not taking it for granted this time. Forgotten empires, lost victories long past. Every time I bloomed again, I thought it was the last. And then something crazy happens, and boom, I'm doing the victory dance. He pushes his voice in the chorus. Apparently without Mike, he felt he had to try to sing higher, where in the old days he'd take the low harmony. But I'm gonna overlook the vocal flaws when Dave utters the immortal words, Now look at all the people here tonight. Shout out to Curtis Longclaw. Dave says, told you I was coming back. Say you missed me. Yeah, I missed you, Dave. I missed you. The next track is Bullet Head. I'm coming just right over your I can feel your pain. If everything is coming your way, you're facing the wrong way. Bullet Head. By the moon into your crazy dead. Bullet Head. Got a different kind of truth Bullet head Yes, you are the danger Just like you How many roads must a man walk down Before he admits he's lost Rock and Mike, how about this one? Oh, yeah, I'm all about this song. I love it. The again, this is back to what we're talking about. This is exactly what we were hoping for, which makes sense because this one dates back, I think, all the way back to 77. It touches on almost all of the classic Van Halen sound, everything but the solo, the solo. I don't know what he was filtering that through, but I don't care. It works. And that bullet head, I'm all aboard on this track. I love it. Although, what is that scream at the end, too? There's the weird little scream, but I like this track a lot. Professor, are we sure these guys are, are middle-aged? <laughs> um, damn, bullet head. Bomb the moon until you're crazy dead. Yes, you are in danger. I drive just like you. To my easily influenced, suffering from driving-induced Tourette syndrome mind, this song is like crack to me. The gas mm-hmm. pedal is going to be put through the floor, and I'm going to sing right along. That first squeal of Eddie's guitar... It sounds like a sports car taking a high pin or a hairpin turn at high speed. I don't know what bomb the moon until you're crazy dead means, and I don't care. I'm all in. The squealing lick Eddie throws off after the well I'm I'm loving the horn baby line, man, that is like that's like an orgasm. Uh mm-hmm. every every lick he does until the solo sonically defines my entire teenage life. Hurt me. Eddie fucking Van Halen, that's all I can say about that solo. The way the song stops abruptly, it's like the car ran into a wall, leaves me breathless. I just hit repeat over and over and over again just for the adrenaline rush. 
That's all I got. Lou. Alex, good riff too. Uh, reminds me to light up the sky a little bit, right? A little darker, a little heavier. Yeah, a little bit. None of that silly reverb. This one would fit right in with Fair Warning, I think. It's got that darkness to it. Wolfie's keeping up with his dad through the solo. He's really blowing my mind at this point. Too bad he doesn't have the Michael Anthony harmonies that we're all missing, but you got to give it to him, man. Don't get me wrong. It's not that he can't sing. It's just different. Right. 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 That's it. Seamus. Don't you think there's someone in L.A. that can sing high harmonies, though? Because they just brought in that person. (laughs) Yes, I agree. Couldn't they have just fucking faked it for me? I mean, my woman does all the time. Come on. (laughs) I see the difference of where we are by what people are commenting on on each of these songs. And part of my problem is that these songs, although good, are sometimes for me just album filler. I don't like the double bass pumping cup cup top 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 chug songs more than one or two a song uh, or an album. To me, I like those really nasty riffs. I like the, the the songs that breathe. I like swagger. Somebody said it earlier. There's nobody. There's no take your whiskey home on this album. There's no breathing on this album. You're either getting these chug songs or you're getting some other standard songs. But if you listen to this album in its entirety. There is absolutely no space. And sometimes some of the best music is in the space. This is the song where we got the CD title from. As everybody said, this is an old 70s song rework. How many roads must a man walk down before he admits he's lost? Probably about right here in this album would be a good spot for that lyric. <laughs> a little bit too much effect on the lead, but hey, what do I know? And as you know, I, it is, it, it's Eddie Van Halen. How can you say it's a shitty lead? But as all leads go from Eddie Van Halen, this was not much of a lead. So as we were saying, this is another old song known to be played in clubs as early as 1977, and it was demoed. And then the band plays it nearly note for note as they did back then with some lyrical changes, minor lyrical changes. It's got a ripping jackhammer riff, and there's no fucking around. They get right after it. Alex is abusing those drums, and Wolfie throws in some nice bass slides that grab my ear. Though, interestingly, Eddie's solo doesn't feature the blazing shredding he's known for. He kind of lets the rhythm push the momentum. I love the fucking opening line. My karma just ran over your dogma. Who the fuck else writes that? That's incredible. Dave's slick wordplay is in full effect as he uses the images of driving fast in a car as metaphors for facing life's challenges and trying to barrel through them regardless of the obstacles and the dangers they present. It's the shortest track on the album at two and a half minutes, and once again, it's the music that gets my blood pumping as opposed to the vocals, but that's obviously going to be a running theme for me this episode. Hey. The following track is As Is. Yesterday I was a bummer bro, today I am a star broke in this town that's called progress. That's how we do it. I've been rich and I've been poor, rich is better, totally better, requires a degree of acceptance, it's must accept as is. Professor, you like this one? 
this one starts off kind of odd. You get that count in, which I think is Alex, and then you get those monster coming at you. And then we finally, finally, finally get a Van Halen shuffle played it about 5,000 times the speed recommended (laughs) with a little more volume in the headphones, the opening verse. So David Lee Roth, yesterday I was a bum and broke today. I'm a star and broke in this town. That's called progress. That's how we do biz. Isn't that all of LA? And then I love the, uh, I've been rich and I've been poor. Rich was better. Totally better. Yeah. Yeah. Whose isn't? Um, (laughs) This one kind of makes my jaw drop when they get to that breakdown section. And Roth says, the next part should really confuse things. Everybody, let's stay focused. That is the best example of the three Ben Halens being so locked in. I hear that and I just, all I can think of is the years jamming between all three of them to be able to pull that off kind of boggles my mind. Besides the fact that upon first hearing it, I guessed no fucking way and hit rewind as I just to hear it again. Love the craft or the buck. Every day down here is a rainy day. We don't save up. That's Mr. Mr. Roth's swagger right there. The solo for this first showed up on Eddie's appearance on that Charlie Sheen sitcom. The two, what, two burritos and a root beer float thing. It's two burritos and a root beer float. <laughs> yeah, that's just saying why he had to go into the bathroom in the first place. <laughs> yeah. That's Mexican food. We've all been there. Come on. Um, love them all, I says. Let Cupid sort them out. I love the charge of Eddie's guitar and that swoosh with the fretboard. The first couple of songs were a nice nostalgia sh- shot for me, but this one really is is a pure ass kicking. It doesn't. It isn't the 70s or the 80s Van Halen here. It's slightly different, but equally ferocious Van Halen for me. I'm still missing the, the Michael Anthony, but he ain't coming back, and I'm starting to accept it, as is. <laughs> nice. Lou. This is the song. If I had to make the mixtape of Van Halen and I had to put every, you know, one from every album on, I'd put this one on that crazy riff paired with Wolfie's bass line and Alex's booga, 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 booga. I, I just, I can't get it under the speed limit. The unintentional surprise of, of the evening is that Richie Stotts kind of played from the plasmatic sounding ultra basic cliched two-handed tapping solo he really he he didn't knock it out of the park for that um for that first solo that he does right before that the the chicken picking country style finger pluck key change thing that he does which Seamus there's your space with that that when they were doing it's probably the only dynamic I know what you're talking about there Roth does drop into that sleazy Dave voice leading into that heavy the jam at the end and book a book a book a book with the, the Ebo um, Eddie doing those weaving Ebo things that he does. It's been in my fucking head for days. Now I woke up with it this morning in my head, that last little jam that sounds like it came out of a jam of this song. Um, thank God too. Cause I was really having trouble shaking that shit box verve pipe fucking album out of my head. It's <laughs> <laughs> all I got. Seamus. I like the drum intro and the little dinosaur stomp that goes before the fast buggy. All in all, this is a good song. I got a question for any of the musicians here. I know that traditionally uh, David Lee Roth Van Halen always tunes down a half a step. Did we tune down a whole step for this album? Hmm. Does anybody know? I never. I. I never. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna research it though now because you might be yeah, right. They might have done it just on as a. Uh, 
as an ease for Dave because you know he, he he can't hit any note. Never mind, I know. I'm hearing some of these. Yeah, I'm hearing some of these rhythms, and part of my brown sound that I'm not hearing could be because we're down a full step, and it's just a little bit more grungy than it, I'm used to hearing out of Eddie. It does um, sound a little darker and dirtier too. So you might be right. You might definitely be right. And uh, yeah, as is. Rock and Mike. So again, Ray and I were, were agreeing on this one. Um, I thought the opening of this, I thought it was Van Allen playing something off Revenge by Kiss. It's just <laughs> darkness, you know. I was like, wow, okay, Van Halen goes Revenge, which is which is cool. But then it opens up, and Eddie reminds us why he's Eddie with that groovy riff. Uh, Alex, again, is back in full hot for teacher mode. I love the breakdown for solo. The same lyrics. I wrote out the same passage you did, Ray. Uh, yesterday I was a bum and broke. Today I'm a star and broke. I love that passage in the song um i did have to look up the lyrics because we don't save up i kept thinking he said we don't say fuck and i'm like wow dave okay and so that's what i was singing along all week until i was finishing up my notes but this i another good good tune i'm all aboard i am really enjoying this album a lot Alex kicks us off with a tribal beat intro and eddie butts in with a dark low down riff then it suddenly morphs into another up-tempo rocker with a winding, shreddy guitar lick that Wolfie occasionally matches on bass, and it sounds cool. The chorus is just pure double bass aggression with shouted so vocals, and it's slamming. The lyrics slyly acknowledge the state of the current music business and how once rock stars were rich and famous, but in modern times, artists don't make the money they used to, and they have to accept how things are. It's become, do you love to make music or do you just love to make money? Love them all, Dave says. He's been on both sides of the fence. He's been rich and poor, so let's just have some fun. Take them as is. Eddie's solo is a tapping showcase, and Dave even throws in some ad-libs like the old days. This next part should really confuse things. Everybody, let's stay focused. A little more volume in the headphones, please. As the track fades out, Eddie plays these eerie, snaking guitar lines, and I fucking love this track. It's one of my favorites on the record. The next track is Honey Baby Sweetie Doll. Honey Baby Sweetie Doll, you're the one that I want, or I don't want one at all. Honey Baby, my heart's aflame, I'm all f***ing you to blame. Honey Baby Sweetie Girl, when you count the waves, you rock my world. Stone's old sister, soccer mom, we charge Amiga, cheery bar. Baby lover. Angel faces, sound dumb, straight up faces. I'm a bad little cowboy, send me to your room. Let's get started. Lou, how about this one? The beginning of this sounds like the scout droid on the Hoth planet in the beginning of Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> <laughs> Then a bunch of noise that makes me think of the zappers were only in it for the money. But it, it's another interesting one. It, this is what I wanted. Eddie making noises, different noises. It, it's got a heavy riff. Roth is in full Roth mode, too. He's, he's talking more than singing. He's, he's playing to his strengths right now. He sounds like that cat that you go to for anything, from a sure thing date to a, a couple tabs of acid to go with that quarter ounce of weed you bought from him. <laughs> It's the song's got a dark, like an opiate undertow era tool attitude to it almost at the end. 
if they took Danny Carey and zippered him in a sleeping bag with just his head sticking out before they put him on his drum seat to record this tune. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Seamus. Customary. Weird guitar intro. Check. Nice, funky riff. Check. Dave in whiskey low voice and high scream mode. Check. Ad-lib the middle eight. Almost check. Gymnastic lead break. Check. Yep, it's a Van Halen song. Checks all the boxes. <laughs> Rock and Mike. So there's so much to talk about here. Um, I, I likened it to like Cold War radio communications, like uh, kind of East and West Germany trying to sneak somebody out. Uh, but it's a it's a nice dirty riff that squeals into that same tone from the solo as She's the Woman. And that tone, it kind of reminds me almost of a CB squeal when it squelches out. At 236, Mark, you have Dave doing his best impression of a Sammy of a Sammy Hagar scream. And then you just buckle up and you just enjoy the ride out. The solo is awesome. The riff changes sounds. It, it sounds almost like a distorted uh, sitar, which I thought was really cool. We get the weird, for some reason, there's a dog bark in the middle of the song and then Dave saying dog in the right channel. <laughs> and this is where, uh, so we're going to go to, we're going to go to Davy Lee Smith on this because three strong tracks in a row, combine that with some incense and the smell of the corpses of burning hippies. And that's how you summon the sequencing freak, Mike Cordes. Cause this is, I, this is where I've got all in on this album because the sequencing on this teased us so much. We had tattoo, which we agreed was kind of like a David Lee Roth solo track. She's the woman, which is what we wanted to hear. You and your blues was a leftover Sammy track and everything sense is right on board. And that album is just picking up steam. And so I'm all aboard on the sequencing on this too. I'm loving this record. Ray P. This one reminds me a little of loss and control, loss of control from women and children first. But this is like the Planet Mars remix with a little bit of Saturn's rings thrown in and all of the turmoil of Jupiter's atmosphere. The song starts off like what Mike said. It made me laugh about something intercepted. But this one's like an intercepted extraterrestrial signal being tuned in before it goes into that womp, 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 womp riff. <laughs> that sounds like what I'd imagine Jello sounds like. Um, <laughs> the whole band kicks in and smashes you in the face. Alex plays a shuffle pattern, which is odd to me on this one because he really didn't play one in as is which was a shuffle but he really swings here swings like a jazz drummer being zapped by a defibrillator hard <laughs> and fast but still swings who else but alex van halen would do that eddie's three second squeal at 50 seconds makes me almost lose bladder control i don't know what it is about a squeal on a guitar but that just always gets me going um i like the song a lot however i think i'd like it even more if it was just a straight up instrumental but leave the dog bark in, because I thought that was cool. We all love dogs. Um, Roth could even keep his gibberish with his megaphone stuff. I don't know what he's saying. Who cares? Eddie Solo in this one, it's just manic. That's But that's Eddie. I hear this song, and I picture pulling negative Gs in a fighter jet just before the engine flames out. And I go into a fatal flat spin. And the engine flames out just before that dog barks. And then the aircraft enters its death spin. By the time the song ends, I'm dead, but I've got a, the biggest smile on my face. And this song gets dissed a lot, too, amongst the Van Halen fans. They don't like this one. But, you know, fuck them. Fuck them <laughs> is right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's time to get weird. 
The first thing you hear are all these weird squealing effects that made me think of an old radio dial being turned. And then it becomes a heavy, dark tune with thumping drums, overdriven bass, and a riff that could have come out of the Fair Warning era, to my ears anyway. Eddie's playing all over this track, adding effects-soaked fills and the solo straight from Bizarro World. It's creepy and haunting. Even Dave gets in on the act. His vocals are in his lower register, and he sounds like a predator stalking his prey, which is kind of what the song is about. Dave wants sex, and you don't care if she's a rich girl from the Hamptons or Florida trailer trash. He's a bad little cowboy. This is the most experimental track on the album, and I'm all about it straight up, Aces. The following track is The Trouble With Never. You are the one you want to know. About it, but ask yourself later when you turn on your stereo. Does it return the favor? I gotta know. That's the trouble with never. Just back a mighty long time. That's the trouble with never. When was the last time you did something for the first time? Seamus, take the lead. I am so opposite of you guys on what. I want out of Van Halen and what you want out of Van Halen. Here's what I wrote when I was listening to this. Day 72 of the new Van Halen CD and fatigue has started to set in. I'm really missing Michael Anthony. A little more riffs and a little less boogie would be okay. It's a nice chorus. Middle eight. But Dave's not ad-libbing. It kind of reminds me. Dave, I need a break. One break coming up. (laughs) Nice guitar, though. Rock and Mike. So I love the opening to this track. Um, it's groovy as a bag of lace. So the lyrically, it's about them getting back together. And the line, when you turn on your stereo, does it return the favor? That's an awesome line. I like that line a lot. Now, that doesn't happen when I'm listening to most of Dave's solo catalog, but I do understand what he's trying to say. We get another impressive bass line with a cool solo. Alex is still being Alex. But for me, the album has now entered must-own territory, and I'm just cranking the hell out of it. Professor Permi. With the two previous tracks in mind, I'm convinced that Eddie Van Halen was an alien monitored 24 hours a day by the men in black. (laughs) Who comes up with this kind of riff to start a song? Uh, It reaches through the speakers and kind of grabs you by the throat and throttles you around. Of course, Eddie's using more wah-wah pedal on this album than he ever did on any previous album ever. Lyrically, David Lee Roth is all over the place. The chorus is a touch too vaudeville kitsch for me. He's got another 1-800 reference in it. But Wolf is really rocking the bass on some nice licks as he lays down a great groove. Eddie's got that wah-wah overload solo, which sounds pretty good to me. But like I said, I'm just getting tired of the wah-wah. I can... But I could picture him doing this, making it look effortless with a smile on his face, wondering what kind of smoothie he's going to have when they're done for the day. (laughs) Um, I love how they slow it down and go into that me-wise magic kind of ethereal part. The selective amnesia is only a heartbeat away is a great line. The song is just offbeat enough, and the chorus could have been a little bit more butch, but the song showcases a band that not only has serious chops, but one whose future I was really ready to sign up for 100%. Lou. It sounds like another DLR band tune. Um, the riff is almost Steve I. 
the most Van Halen thing about this track is the backups and a great solo by Kirk Hammett. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, Creepy Buddha Dave by the end, that sleazy pimp drug dealing version of the Chesser cat guy in the last song. Um, It fits and he's playing to his strengths. Uh, It's not a bad tune, but you know, it's, it's a VH tune. So this one kind of starts loose and jammy, almost funky with the wah-wah guitar and the bass staying right with it. Wolfgang's showing impressive ability, and it sounds like he's given some free reign to do his thing in a way Michael Anthony never did or wasn't allowed to. I gotta say, though, this chorus doesn't grab me like most of the others. They try the old VH, ooh, backing vocals, but they needed to lay off that without the presence of Mr. Anthony. I'm with you on that, Seamus. This song perplexes me a little bit. There are elements of it I like and some that I don't. In general, I like what Eddie's doing. I'm digging the riffs and the solo plays up to his strengths, mixing the melodic and the shredding. But man, I do not care for that spoken word section where Dave sounds like he's right in your ear, basically saying, let's do something spontaneous. Let's take a chance on Dave's wicked, wicked ways. You want to play? which ties into the general theme of letting go and loosening up. I do dig the line, though. When was the last time you did something for the first time? That's pretty cool. Overall, I don't hate this, but this is a lesser track for me. The next track is Out of Space. Rock and Mike, how about this one? So Unchained Part 2. That's all I thought of with that riff came in was Unchained. But I didn't care because I'm still searching for a 12 on my stereo volume knob. I can picture Eddie bouncing around the stage. You just have, you've seen so much footage of Van Halen live, especially in their prime. You could just picture him kicking. And it's, yeah, I think it was the saddest I've ever been while having a huge grin on my face at the same time. Because you know it's not going to happen. And I just love how the band stops and it's just Eddie and that left hand just kind of tapping on it. I love this track as well. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, boys. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Prof. Uh, Well, that was a great saying that it was uh, unchained, too, because what I have written down is, hey, an arena rock riff, Van Halen style. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) What else can you say? The lyrics kind of make me laugh on the 80 acres of one-step shopping has somewhat changed the place while we out of space. I do not refuse it. I am guilty. I do use it. I am the reason we out of space. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the bridge licks that, that Eddie plays after the solo, for me, are even better than the solo, which he scorches on. Danger rides the web tonight, despite the blogosphere and Facebook references. We will, which will likely turn off most listeners. Roth mixes in a gem with a verse with uh, the future ain't what it used to be. Time to change my galaxy in case we out of space. Trouble free earth detracts made mother nature piss her pants. And then that's the human way. 
I don't know what he's on. I don't know what he's talking about, but it sounds good. And uh, not to diss any other singers, but David Lee Roth and the Van Halens belong to his wit and his obscure lyrics really kind of opened something up for me. Um, I realized with this album that I was able to identify why I like early Van Halen and and Steely Dan's music at the same time. Top-notch musicians with witty, sarcastic lyrics that fly over the heads of most people they are poking fun at. It's the equivalent of a musical inside joke. And if you don't get it, that's even funnier to me. Lou. You guys are saying Unchained. I, I hear a women and chilling first in there. Chugging AVH rhythm, that tone. It's got a decent tone on this album. Good attempt at classic VH backups again, but it doesn't hit the mark. Uh, this is probably the most Van halen song on the record, though. Eddie throws a lot of the cliche Eddie things in his solo. There's no mistaking the man. This is like an Ace Freely album, though. He just he's doing all his signature licks on all his stuff. And, uh, you know, he's got his bag of tricks that he keeps going back to. Um, Eddie Van Halen's bag of tricks is just a bigger, noisier bag. Uh, it's it's a good tune. Seamus. I love the riff. Uh, it starts out with that just that great riff. Again, it's a boogie style tempo, but it's done slightly different. I don't hate the song. I don't love the song. I think it's well placed. I do like the lyrics. It's very tongue in cheek. You know, you talk about the uh, bag of tricks, man. He is like Mary Poppins though. He's got everything in that bag. Um, <laughs> it's a great middle of the project uh, uh, track. There's nothing glares at, uh, out at me at this track that there's anything wrong with it, but yet it's just there. And and. I'm listening to this track at the gym as I'm doing some treadmill work. And all I keep thinking to myself is like, how freaking hard must it be to live against your legacy to go in the studio and just know. And I, I've even heard, you know, uh, Eddie say stuff like this, like why do new stuff? Nobody wants to hear it. They go to the bathroom. If we play a new song, they come back out. They want to hear, you know, uh, dance the night away or whatever again. And it, it's like, it's hard for me to listen to these objectively because I see what was and what is. And I long for the, the days of what was, and it, it's close, but it's kind of like uh, replicator food on Star Trek. It's not, it's just close. So this comes from the 77 demos and musically it's virtually unchanged, but it was originally titled let's get rockin and the lyrics have been totally revamped. It's a fast, powerful rocker with big, meaty riffs. And I dig the chorus section where Alex bashes triplets and Eddie's guitar sounds like it's in pain from the beating. Bum, 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 eh, bum, 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 eh. Dave sings about his environmental concerns that we're using up the planet's resources and destroying the lands and the wildlife that live there. We're literally running out of space. And Dave takes responsibility for his part in it. He's guilty. He's part of the reason we out of space. But it's hard for me to accept these lyrics after hearing the original demo. This tune rocks hard as a motherfucker and Save the Planet lyrics just don't fit. Plus, of course, Dave can't deliver them like he used to. So I really like the song if I pay attention to the notes more than the words. The following track is Stay Frosty. Time he made me Same as Kabbalah Day, but few it's free. God guides us on our journey, but careful with those feet. Stay frosty in a world without air. Stay frosty. 
like that ancient immortal said don't want him to get you go don't show him where it's hit and that's just what i did stay frosty Woo! look out stay frosty now use my hand i won't look Prof, how about this one? The North, South, East, and West song, also known as Ice Cream Man Volume 2. But unlike Ice Cream Man, this is no John Brim cover, Van Halen Eyes. This song is actually a collaboration between Roth and Wolfie, who arranged it. Um, Roth strums the acoustic, and his lyrics kind of shine on this one. And I think we could have all done without all, all the... Uh, 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 uh. But the song has that cynical, irreverent Van Halen humor of, of old. We've had glimpses of it in the first half of the album, but now it's clear classic Van Halen wasn't all just about the mind-bending guitar and the backup vocals, but also about the smart-ass lyrics written with just enough obscurity and carefree attitude. I love the, uh, your arms are too short to box with God, so learn these words instead. There's a trick to Christian values, and it's compulsory. Um, the uh, same as Kabbalah Day, but for you it's free. God guides us on our journey, but careful with those feet. They use my hand, I won't look. That's probably the best ad lib in the whole the whole album. The band roars in and rocks. I like this song. I, I won't deny it. I don't care if it's compared to, to Ice Cream Man or if it's Ice Cream Man 2. I turn this one up every time. Lou. This is definitely the bizarre world's ice cream man <laughs> or their attempt at lightning in a bottle twice, or maybe this is the one that they threw away all those years ago um, in favor of, but it would have fit on diver down the great tone on the guitars. The drums are as is the case for this whole album. Sounds like he's beating on big boxes and you're right. The snare is just not there. That's what I got. Seamus. As, as you guys said, this is a David Lee Roth song reworked. I got to be honest, the middle of this project is looking as bloated and as bland as my Uncle Johnny. <laughs> if you want to hear a good song, go listen to Ice Cream Man. I, I, I can't disagree more with anybody that, you know, that loves this song. I just, it's just album filler, and it's not even good album filler. Mike. So I, I, I actually don't mind this song. I like how... I, I mean, it is playing on your nostalgia for Ice Cream Man quite heavily the way they do that. And I'm and I'm OK with it at this point because I like it when it makes a change from acoustic to electric. For me, one th one of the things that really grabbed me on this one is Eddie's shuffle. I can almost picture I don't know if you guys ever saw the uh, MTV Unplugged with Stevie Ray Vaughan and you just the way he plays that riff in Pride and Joy. I get the feeling on the riff on this that if Stevie Ray Vaughan played that shuffle through Eddie's rig, you would have that riff, the electric riff part of this song. And I, and I like that. And I think it's just a cool visual. So I don't mind it at all. I'm still loving this album. <laughs> Sonically, it's obviously the sequel to Ice Cream Man with Dave initially playing bluesy acoustic guitar licks and it develops into an uptempo electric boogie rocker. 
Alex makes that shuffle beat swing, and Eddie dips into the blues with a few EVH flourishes for a brief, unflashy solo that captures the loose, jammy vibe. But this tune does belong to Dave. It's his baby. His weathered voice actually is more suited to this type of material. And I admit, unlike the professor, I do dig the rough, uh, 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 wordless vocals. I do it right along with him. Dave appears to be on a spiritual journey, traveling around and meeting with different masters like a preacher, a rabbi, and a Buddhist monk who impart their wisdom onto him, which apparently is to stay frosty. I mean, what's that mean anyway? Be cool? Chill out? Is that what it means? I don't know. I do have a problem with the vocals, though, and it's this. I really like Dave's lyrics, always have. He's very good at coming up with clever turns of phrase. But here he's using too many words. They make him rush his singing at points because he's trying to cram them all in and it sounds awkward. He needed to either edit the lyrics or adjust the melody, but overall, it's a minor quibble. I still dig this track. The penultimate track is Big River. about it pentultimate track the problem with that i keep expecting uh, my problem is i keep expecting a leopard to change its spots and this spotted leopard is another van halen rocker complete with horse whinnies and dive bombs and hammer-ons at this point i'm just tired and this album's taking too long to end and there's really nothing new here and now they're just repeating themselves on the same record Seamus. Yeah, I kind of felt the same way, but I, unlike a lot of you guys, would have rather had some of the other songs taken off. If this would have been a nine-song CD, I would have been good with that. But I like this song. This is the song, you know, that gave me, you know, brought me back to the CD. I was just about ready to give up on it. And I was like, holy shit, this has got a riff to it. The song kind of reminds me of like uh, the vibes of Summer Nights, you know? It has some space to it. And who doesn't like Big River, man? You know, come on. Listen to the seashell. You can hear the sea. Listen to the beer glass. That river belongs to me. I rarely know what the fuck Dave is talking about. But he says it so convincingly. He's two-part folly, two-part wise man, and all MC at the house party. So bring it. Bring the Big River, baby. Rockin' Mike. I straddle between Lou's opinion and Seamus's opinion on this one because I, I would have taken two songs off this easily and made it a little bit shorter as well. But I like this song at the same point. Uh, so it's got the big chorus. Uh, there's some nice ride cymbal work from Alex. Uh, you've got the horse Winnie is back. There's a cool shuffle to Eddie's playing before the riff gets a little dirtier. And then into the solo where the tapping gets an echoey effect. And I could be really reading into this way too much, but I get a feeling that while they weren't telling the rest of us, they knew this was the last album and it was a calculated production move at the end because that echoey effect is almost only on the tapping. It gives it like a ghost effect, like, so long, guys. You're not going to hear this anymore. Ray P. That's a song about life's ups and downs, the shit happens songs. It's got a little noodly start, 
And then Wolf comes in with that fret charge on the base, and he and Alex engage, and Eddie follows and then takes off. That thumping bass really, really drives that melody. The song starts deceptively simple, but when you listen closely, the band is locked in tight. Eddie's driving the riff, and then during the verse sections, Alex lays down a steady beat while Eddie plays accents, and Wolf channels his inner end whistle, and he does a great job of that. That's really surprising to me. Um, then they swap back to the chorus, like something that Zeppelin would do in What Is and What Should Never Be or something like that. Um, it sounds incredible. What he's singing about with the Charles River Mud, he's singing about Bastin. Uh, I actually <laughs> looked it up, and it turns out that flooding in some pricey co-op apartments and condos in New England is quite common. Uh, and he's got his little Winnie squeal again. I just love that. Land's Edge, where the east begins, the debris meets the sea when the tide comes in. Eddie's got a good solo. He's Once again, he's in love with his wah-wah. The bridge comes back with crazy licks accenting all over it, and then like sparks flying in every direction. I really like the outro melody in the solo. The outro of this one is like a guitar hook that just buries itself in your ear for me. Yet another reworked 70s demo, originally titled Big Trouble. I love the main riff that also serves as the chorus riff, played over a mid-tempo rhythm that's kind of similar to Running With The Devil. Wolfie's hitting that boom, 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 boom note, except Alex is playing 16th notes on the hi-hat. The verses begin with a crunchy lick and then draws out to give Dave room to sing, and Dave's able to hold a sustained note that actually doesn't offend your eardrums that much. The solo section introduces a cool new riff and rhythm that has a darker edge to it. And then Eddie's solo is one of my favorites on the record. He pulls out all the stops, throwing in his trademark tricks from dive bombs to fiery shredding. It's a master class of Van Halenisms. Okay, you got me what these lyrics mean, Dave. You, you stopped me this time. But I don't know. I do like the rolling that appears to be swiped from CCR's Proud Mary or, you know, an approximation of it. Gotta tell you, man, this is yet another standout track for me. And that brings us to the final track, Beats Workin'. Beats Workin', stop, nobody but me. Just a workin', I'm the rest of me. How about this last one, Seamus? Love the big Townsend-like power chords to open the song. It's followed by a classic Eddie Van Halen riff right into the verse. To me, this is the perfect album closer. This is what I've been talking about. My head was bopping, my toe was tapping, Roth was gliding, Eddie was flying. It's easy as cotton candy eating at the county fair. Whammy bar in the middle eight, slow it down, bring it to a nice lead. Boom, pop it back up with some Alex Vintage snare. Right into a pop rock chorus, baby. Nothing gets Eddie, and nobody told Eddie to stop playing, so he does it right up till the end. Ow! <laughs> rock and Mike. You can just copy what Seamus said. I, I, <laughs> the, uh, um, but yeah, I, I love everything about this. Same thing. It, and I, at this point, I'm ringing the bell. Yes, we're missing Michael Anthony, um, but I, I did get a, a respect for um, for Wolfgang out of this. And 
I'm just, I've got a smile on my face and I'm on team Aaron with that because it's just, I didn't think I would hear this again. Um, I dog on David Lee Roth a lot. I always have, and I probably always will, but this is where he belongs. And I, and I like the track. It's good. Don't you think if this was the last track we ever heard from Van Halen, it would be a good track to look, to end on? Yes. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Worthy. Yeah. Yes. Very worthy. Prof. I really like this song. The double entendre of beats working for the song and the fact that, that being a rock star beats working for a living. Also, you got to find the beat that works for your life. I really identified with this song the first time I heard it. Um, I was an umpire. It was a job that I absolutely loved, that I never, ever felt like work to me. There was never a day that I woke up and didn't want to go to work that immediately. That feeling beats working indeed. And here we started off with power chords and some feedback and some flashing licks around and then some heavy artillery drumming from Alex. Talk about dropping some bombs there. Um, I love how it translates from those sustained notes as Alex hits that hi-hat count, one, two, three, four, and then that brazen riff comes in, bold like sunshine. I sound like David Lee Roth here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The band chugs along as DLR strains on the verses. I don't care because this song has me bouncing right along. It just feels good. Kid will land on his feet if he don't land on his seat. Come on. Uh, empty floor stands between the stage and a welfare door heads or tails of the same bread coin of the realm just like the man said come on it seems like everyone is really cutting loose on this song and his first solo kind of comes in it's a way with that squeal that transcends dimensions to me leaving wolf playing that melody and alex on cowbell <laughs> um the second solo plays a nice counter melody to Wolf, and then he takes off again, um, and he's just going to hit that wah-wah till the damn pedal breaks. Turns around right into the chorus, and what a, what a fucking good band this is. The song winds down with that sustained feedback howl, all 35 sec- or 36 seconds of it, and you can hear the grooves at Eddie's fingertips scrape against the coiled strings right at the end. This is a great song. It's a great way to end the album. I agree with you, Seamus. Lou. Man, maybe I was just in a bad mood when I wrote this up, but um, this this comes across here. I mean, I like the song, but this comes across as one of those high school battle of bands, like from around 82 or 83, with like when they had a, like a really good contender band playing in this battle. And uh, the problem is, is that they lost their singer before the show and they had to hire Fred, the janitor to sing for them. (laughs) And they paid him in like a, (laughs) and they paid him with, you know, a fifth of beef eater gin (laughs) and let him drink it before the show. (laughs) You know, it, I'm kind of uninterested by the end, but I'm I'm glad this is over. So we get one last rejiggered demo from the 70s. This time it was called Put Out the Lights. And this begins with that sinister sounding intro with the long drawn out chords and Alex adding some fills and trademark cymbal washes that he carries into the main riff slash chorus section. I love the slow grooving verse riff. It really grabs me. And I was trying to figure out why Eddie's rhythm playing is so tasty to me. And then recently I saw a fucking TikTok video of all things. And I'll never remember who it was, so I can't give him proper credit. Sorry, guy. But he explained that when the Van Halen brothers were kids, their father, 
who was a jazz musician, taught them to add a jazzy swing to their playing so that the music breathed and flowed and didn't sound stilted and rigid. And that's kind of it in a nutshell. Eddie's guitar might appear to be sloppy at times, but what he's doing is like, unlike a classically trained musician, like say, like a Randy Rhodes, who I also love, don't get me wrong. Eddie might play a little ahead or he might lay back a touch behind the beat and he stays loose with that hand that gives the music a swinging groove that adds a subtle jazz touch to the hard rock he's playing. You combine that with Alex's drums, which also have that swinging feel, and it gives Van Halen's music a signature style that's difficult to fully emulate. The bands that followed in their wake couldn't do it because that's not the way they play. But back to this song. I dig the breakdown section where Wolfie plays a chunky bass line that resembles something Michael Anthony might do, and I'm sure this isn't the case, but it, to my mind, as far as I'm concerned, it's like Wolfie's tribute to the original bassist. I know it isn't, but... And we get to hear Eddie's final solo on the record, which builds melodically and slowly develops, and of course he's going to throw in some tapping. And if it's not a classic, hey, what else does this man need to do? He's already done it all. Lyrically, Dave kind of sums it up. A rock star's life can be fleeting. Here today, gone later today. He's seen it from both sides. One empty floor stands between the stage and the welfare door. But you know what? He's always going to land on his feet. And that beats working, baby. The song goes out the way it came in. Intro becoming outro. And as a capper to a remarkable career, I'll take this track. It sure does beat working. Thanks for reminding me one more time, fellas. Now that the track by track is over, we'll give our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0, which got kicked to the curb with Michael Anthony. Seamus, what are your final thoughts on A Different Kind of Truth? There's a lyric in the, on this album, here today and gone later today. I don't know about later today, but I can tell you when I heard about Eddie's passing. It hit me harder than a lot of people might know. Because I was a guitar player, or at least I wanted to be. He may have been an asshole to work with for some. He seemed to me he had a few vices. But there's only a handful of guitars that change the world as we know it. There's a line from ACDC. I think it's Let There Be Rock. It says something about there were 15 million fingers learning how to play. That was because of Eddie and what Eddie did for music, for guitar, and for guitar company. There's entire industry was saved by Eddie Van Halen. Guitars flew off the shelf because of Eddie Van Halen. Few others have done that. Hendrix, Clapton, Page, Les Paul, Fender, Chet Atkins, Chuck Berry. Of course they have a place in the Hall of Fame. But make no mistake, Eddie gets his own wing, if not his own fucking building. Musically, he was untouchable. But what I loved about Eddie was his total disregard for his instruments. He would tear into them, and he made it okay for a young kid to take off the pick guard and look inside of his Woolworth guitar to maybe mess around. Hell, cut the whole tip off. Eddie did. Sand it down or repaint it. He made it okay to experiment, not just musically, but with the instruments that you make music with. And I know this because I speak from experience. I have that old Woolworth guitar somewhere now, and it plays like shit because I cut too much of it up. <laughs> it lost what little bit of tone it had. 
but it had a cool paint job. <laughs> so I say this, to explore, to seek out new tones, to go where no guitarist has ever gone before. I say, Eddie, it's second star on the right, and straight on to morning. I love you, brother. This album for me, if you're talking about total Van Halen albums, four out of five. If you're talking about total David Lee Roth Van Halen albums, a three out of five. Very well said, Seamus. Rock and Mike. I have to echo some of Seamus's um, sentiment. I am not a guitar player, uh, but I think one thing Van Halen brought to just all of us in general is that camaraderie of sitting around, listening to an album, talking to your friends and going, how the hell does he do that? Um, we talked during the 5150 episode of how I wore out live without a net, just watching that video and just watching Eddie play with that smile. He, he genuinely had fun. And when I think of Van Halen, I think of my friends, I think, think of, you know, eight guys hanging around bullshitting separate conversations while hot for teachers playing. And then all of a sudden in unison, everybody stops and turns their head and goes, I don't feel tardy. <laughs> like you, you, that is, that is in, that is in like everybody's DNA. And whether you're a guitar player, whether you're not, you talk about different things. I was just talking to a friend of mine last night. I saw Eddie Van Halen play eruption live. I, I'm happy with that. You know, it's it, it it's something that, you know, I'll annoy my grandkids, my grandsons within a couple of years when we're talking music. It's it's phenomenal. And that's what Van Halen is to me. And it was fun revisiting this album because I, I literally haven't listened to it since before he passed away. And I think that's why I love this album so much, because enough of it was still fresh where it was like, oh, I have to hear him one more time. So I give this a four out of five. And as far as just if you're buying Van Halen albums, this is a Van Halen album you have to buy. It, it, it's, that, it's that good where it's a necessity. There's plenty that you don't have to, but I would add this in with, with the canon of what you need. Professor Permi. So when I first suggested this album, I thought it was going to be a really easy review. I knew I liked it, but last week after a few spins which was like the first time I played this album, not only since Eddie died, but back to front years. Um, I told Lou and Aaron that I didn't think it aged well for me. And they add a few more listens and the songs that didn't age well, they're still kind of eh for me. But the ones I almost dismissed because of how I thought, they changed. They blew me away when I really listened to them. It's not just a nostalgia album. It's not just a, hey, we're still alive and, and, and here we are. This is kind of reminds me more of the Stones. They were evolving into something else. Sure, there's some of that. We used to kick so much ass swagger in a few songs. But as I listened to that, it morphed into, we still do. Yeah, older, but we're still the Mighty Van Halen Mach 4. Three parts original and one part inevitable, as Roth said in concert. I, I'd been in for the ride with seeing how this band would have evolved from here, I was all in, and then the universe had some other plans. Uh, I heard rumors about them touring again after the, the 2015 tour, what I thought was a mix of, of heartfelt attitude and, and uh, or gratitude and stage stick from Roth when he told Eddie that the best times of his life were sharing the stage with him. The last time I saw them in concert, which was in Austin, which was a 49th birthday present for my wife to see them. 
I thought, well, okay, I don't know if he's just being sticky, but I, it turns out that that was true. That it was really a kind of a farewell, and I think that the band knew it. I saw a picture of Eddie about a year or two ago with him in his motorcycle plates. I had to do a triple take. He had a very familiar prednisone puff to his face, and his skin had that telltale sign of chemotherapy, and I was really afraid for him. Then a few months later, there was rumors of a 2019 tour. Michael Anthony had even confirmed that Van Halen's management reached out to him, and he was all in. And COVID stops the world. During all the, the lockdown and everything, I was walking our dogs individually, which they freak out because they're, they're brothers and they're touch codependent. And I'd walk the other one, and the, the one at home would freak out until I returned, only to reverse their roles with each other. I was walking the second one on a very clear October afternoon when my wife texted me that, Eddie Van Halen had just passed away. Now, that one hit me hard because I remember when Lennon was shot and how that was a catalyst for me to really kind of dive into the Beatles music and I became a, a huge Beatles fan. I remember when Elvis passed away and how I thought it was really odd that my neighbor, she was so affected by this and I was struck because she really didn't know him. And I was 11 years old when Elvis died, but... And then I remember when Peart passed away, I was sad, but I was also kind of comforted by the fact that Rush and he had already kind of gone out on their own terms. The band knew that uh, R40 was their last tour for them. They hinted about it enough, and it was clear for fans if you were paying attention. Eddie's passing hit me really hard. I also felt kind of silly about it because, like my neighbor's reaction to Elvis, I really didn't know the man. But his passing came of came to signify a finality of my own teenage years. Like what you were saying, Mike, that it was, they were having, it was just fun. It was fun. You, you were carefree. You were, we, we were young. We didn't really have all these stupid worries. And it was always fun to kind of go back to that kind of feeling. And then, you know, Eddie's gone. So my Peter Pan part of me, my mentality of not being like most teenagers, but being in my fifties, part of that died when he did. I'm grateful for the music and the memories of the shows that I saw. I'm really sad that hearing, you know, Eddie's guitar wail just as the lights went down, as the band was about to hit the stage, I'm not going to hear that again. The uh, the assault on your spinal cord that that moment was just like apocalyptic fear and euphoria at the same time. It was just, and them telling everybody, buckle up, the ride is about to begin and it's going to be wild. This album is a worthy last studio release for Eddie Van Halen. I'm sure a few in a few years there's going to be some posthumous releases that will I'll gleefully gobble up, but. After taking a close listen to the track on this multiple times, I'm giving this one a, a solid three nine four. EVH, um, there'll be no, there'll never be another one like you. Lou, I don't know what I was expecting, but I got this, and this is not the mighty Van Halen of days long ago. But this sounds like a band who had some unfinished business trying to recapture the former glory of a wrecked first marriage, then uh, a boring but fruitful second marriage that ended after the kids went to college. They're definitely fucking their ex on this one, and they're pulling out the old bag of tricks that made her squirt in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> Bring me I a towel. Sammy again now. <laughs> Bring me a towel and some water because I got to get home soon, you know? Um, I give it a three. 
it sorely needs Michael Anthony's support vocals. Dave leaned on Mikey a lot, and it shows with his age and Mike's absence. I'm thankful that this record exists, but listening to Dave squeak and croak through a live set of classics is painful to watch. Almost as sad as David Coverdale nowadays. Um, but I have, did you see the, the Joe Rogan show? It was like two, three weeks ago with him. Dave, Dave was on, he's deteriorated considerably in, in two years since the last time he was on. The biggest surprise is that Wolfie doesn't suck. Um, (laughs) he better not. I mean, he's going to have that last name and he's going to make a living in music, but Alex doesn't have much to say on this record. And it proves he's really just, it's, he's a one trick pony. Those double bass triplets are getting tired. There's nothing new there. It's no Van Halen one, Van Halen two, women and children first, diver down, fair warning, or nineteen eighty four, but it's got flashes of them all. It's just not enough to make me listen to it again. This is the most Van Halen of all the albums in personnel. Um, and I think that was Eddie's goal, you know, or or wish or whatever. And I don't hold it against him that he let um, Michael Anthony go to have his son in the band. I mean, who wouldn't want their son in the band, especially as proud as he was of, of him and how good the, the, the guy is. You can't take that away from him. That's what I got. Seemingly against all odds, Van Halen reunited with original lead vocalist David Lee Roth and completed a highly successful tour in 2008 with Eddie Van Halen's son Wolfgang controversially taking over bass playing duties from original bassist Michael Anthony. At first, Eddie was reluctant to record a new album with this lineup, but Wolfgang became enthusiastic about the project and Eddie came around to the idea. Three months after the tour's finish, Eddie, Alex, and Wolfgang began jam sessions at Eddie's 5150 studio, and during this time, Wolfgang unearthed decades-old demos that he thought could be shaped into tracks for the new record. Roth signed on after hearing what the others were working on, though he decided to completely rewrite lyrics for most of the older songs to reflect his current worldview, and he suggested working with producer John Shanks, who came aboard and worked alongside Wolfgang to pick out the demos the band would flesh out into album tracks. In January 2011, the band entered Henson Studios and recorded music 12 hours a day for three weeks, with Roth coming in at night to track vocals. In March 2011, Van Halen returned to 5150 to finish and mix the album, and in November 2011, the band signed with Interscope Records with the first single Tattoo released in January 2012, followed by the full album dropping that February. The album cover was designed by Los Angeles-based Smog Design, featuring a photo of a J3A Dreyfus Hudson steam locomotive taken by Robert Yarnell Ritchie, and the album title was approved by Eddie because, in his words... There's always their reality of what other people think, and there's just the different kind of truth, which is the real truth. The album received positive reviews and performed reasonably well, and the band embarked on a world tour to support it. Unfortunately, this would be the final studio album from the band with the passing of Eddie Van Halen in 2020. So for me, I really like this record a lot. I was very happy with it when it came out, almost shocked I didn't think they had it in them. 
there's something about Dave that brings out the rock in Eddie. And this is a guitar album. The only keyboards on the entire thing are on the first track, and Dave plays them. Eddie and Alex are in top-notch form, and Wolfgang proves himself on bass. He does a really nice job. I don't care that half the record are old songs. Plenty of bands revisit older material to make records, and kudos to Wolfgang for spearheading this project and serving as musical director. This album, and really the continuation of this band, doesn't happen without his encouragement. There are flaws with the record, particularly when it comes to the vocalist. I've said it this entire episode. Dave's voice has not aged well, and you can hear him straining and struggling on many of these tracks. Plus, the classic high backing harmonies of Michael Anthony are missing. We've said this ad nauseum, and it does affect the Van Halen sound. But Dave's lyrics, for the most part, are still clever and sharp. And that guitar, man, that guitar! Eddie still had it, as did Alex. I give a different kind of truth a three and a half. And as a final statement, the curtain call of Van Halen... I feel it's absolutely worthy to stand just behind the original six-pack. I'll take this over any Van Hagar album, that's for fucking sure. And before we sign off, I'd just like to say a few words about Eddie Van Halen. In my entire life, there have only been two celebrity deaths that caused me to shed tears for them. The first was in 2016 when David Bowie passed, and that was just a couple of tears of shock and sadness. When Eddie passed on October 6, 2020, I cried. I mean, I openly wept, and I was surprised at the depth of emotion I felt about it. But then I realized something. I wasn't crying for just an incredible musician and my all-time favorite guitar player. I was also crying for myself. Uh, Ray, you kind of touched on this. Van Halen, the band, entered my life in 1984 when I was 14, and I was, like most other teens, a fucking mess full of raging hormones, unsure of my place in a world that seemed bigger and more frightening to me than when I was younger. I was a contradictory mix of youthful desire and self-loathing. But I was a music nerd, and Van Halen ignited my semi-dormant passion for hard rock and heavy metal. They were the soundtrack to my adolescence, to use a phrase. They were my next great band love after Kiss, and they were the bridge to my next great love, Led Zeppelin, a few years later. Sure, I listened to tons of other music at the time as well, but these guys made me feel the pure joy and fun of being a rock star. I wanted to be like them. And Eddie's guitar playing blew my mind open to the sonic possibilities of the instrument. He was my guitar god, like I think he was for a lot of people. And although I know this is going to sound stupid or corny, when Eddie died, it seemed like a little piece of me died with him. My heroes are getting older, and it makes me confront my own aging. It's also the stark finality of teenage Aaron being gone forever, and I mourned that kid. He wasn't a saint, but on the whole, he was a pretty good guy. But you know what else I realized? That first weekend of Eddie's passing? Whenever I want, I could pull a Van Halen record out and put it on the turntable. Or take out my phone, open the music app, and press play on a Van Halen record. And when that glorious music fills my ear canals, I smile because I know that that awkward, shy teen that I was isn't dead. He lives on within me, just as Eddie will live on forever through the gift he gave all of us, his music. And so, from the R4 podcast, Edward Lodovic Van Halen, rest in peace. Wait, I got one thing to say, that when Eddie died... 
there was a that day there was a tweet from the God account that was just it was the coolest tweet I have ever seen. It said, "It just got awfully loud up here in a good way." No, that's cool. I just thought that was cool. So very nice. Now we'd like to thank James Seamus Dillard for returning to R4 and talking shop on Van Halen. Good to have you back, man. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. And hey, Lou, I'm Team Fred. <laughs> Seamus, is there anything you want to plug or promote? Discarded Mischief. If you want to hear some music, uh, we do have some music. Uh, check us out on Facebook or uh, go to Discarded Mischief. There's a website. You can look it up. All right. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast on all the podcasting platforms wherever you listen to them. If you like what you hear, please subscribe or follow the podcast and leave us a review. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com or also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4PodcastAaron and Instagram under R4Podcaster. If you feel the podcast has value and would like to make a contribution to support it, please head over to Patreon and the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews page and sign up on one of the monthly tiers. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for the R4 Podcast, I'm Aaron. I'm Mike. I'm Ray. And I'm Lewis. See ya. Stay frosty. Do you recognize this? You ever see one of these before? What's it used for? What's the matter? Cut? Got your tongue? It's for jacking off, isn't it? Make me jump in and defend Diver Down. <laughs> so they they did not want to do that album. I love Diver Down. They, they wanted to take time off, and then they got. According to Ted Templeman, the Warner Brothers pressed them for an album after Pretty Woman was a hit. And so that's that's Pretty Woman is part of the problem of that album. Yeah. Well, at the time, Pretty Woman was pretty good when it came out. Right? Uh, no. Well, it was no dancing. I love it. I love it. Every time I hear it, every time I hear it, I think of Kelly LeBrock and an escalator. I just want to fuck her. woman was good when it came out. It just it suffers from an ear burn for me. But the best song on that album is probably one of their best songs ever. That's Little Guitars. And it's oh, on that album. Full Bug is awesome. All, the four Full originals on awesome. the album are outstanding. The four originals if on that album are outstanding. If they would have done just me, that would not have gotten any hate. And that, and that cover, Aware of All the Good Times Gone, it doesn't get that's better a, than that. That's yeah. a good the, one, too. The thing yeah, is, it's basically, it's basically an EP anyway. I mean, what, what's the, is the album half hour? But uh but there's there is I will say this about Diver Down. It does have my least favorite Van Halen song uh, in the Dave era of all time. I cannot stand dancing in the street. Cannot stand it. Oh, no one, it's the other problem. No one, yeah. And then when yeah. Bowie and Jagger did it, it killed it. It's even the twice. only Roth era Van Halen song I actively hate. 
The only one. <laughs> I think you're missing the point. It's got the best clarinet solo on any Van Halen album. Oh, yeah. That's Mr. Van Halen, too, I think. That's right. right. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's cool that they did that. It's a, it's a great, that's a cool song, actually, the sweet, uh, Big Bad Bill is a good oh, song. Oh, man, we're going to have to mm. do Diver Down. It's obviously, we're going to have to do Diver Down. Less filling! <laughs> <laughs> Less filling! 